word to your mother. It's time for another episode of Birds with Friends. Just a couple of feathery brethren weathering any season to see the Eagles eating teams like bacon, steaks, and cheese. It's Philadelphia. Bowen Sheila in the cut, kicking it cooler than two penguins. Still Bo's old arch nemesis. Greg Cosell shows up and it gets real. Pull up a branch and chill. It's time to get ill with some Birds with Friends. The early bird skips the worm and prefers getting turned like a turn on some Birds with Friends. Bo Wolf and Shukapati are coming at you with stats and things, flapping their wings. Birds I'm going to have the rest of my life with these kids. Wow. Get, we got to get that in a drop uh, immediately. We're that one out. That didn't come out quite There's no editing. No, no editing yeah, on this that's podcast. That's the wonderful Birds with Friends. No editing. <laughs> Hello, everybody, and welcome. To Burns with Friends, Bo Wolf here in my basement, a newly cleaned basement, thanks to my lovely wife. And on the other line, Sheila Kapadia and Zach Berman. Hello, guys. We knew Hello. it was, uh, you didn't have to say because of your lovely wife, we knew you you didn't do it. Well, that's for dang sure. Uh, yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I've uh, we actually got a new couch that has been uh, waiting to be delivered. And now the, uh, you know, the stalemate is on because, you know, we want to get rid of the other couch. But I'm, I'm such a uh, nostalgic guy that I'm, like, loath to get rid of it. We've, been, that we've had a good run with that couch. No one's going to defend me? <laughs> I think you, you put that on Craigslist or Facebook. You know what? Um, Actually, I'll tell you what. I'll tell you what. I'll put out the call to Birds with Friends listeners in the Philadelphia area. If you want a, a lovely couch, hit me up with hashtag Bo's Couch, and maybe we can make something happen. Then I'd be, I would be happy for it to go to a good home. Let's Sheila, go. Are you there? Okay. Yeah, let's go. <laughs> you Come got nothing on. to say. So I think we have to start with this, Sheila, because uh, you know I think all loyal listeners and loyal athletic subscribers have read your you know, 10 things league-wide today. And I, I got to say, are, should we be concerned about you? Are you are you doing okay? It seems like you've hit a, a bit of a, a midlife crisis. Why? What happened? Well, all the talk about uh, the old guys, and I'll tell you what I loved the I loved the last the, the number ten on the on the things that you disliked, getting you to take a shot at the NFL, patting themselves on the back for this one hundred uh, years thing. It, I, I thought that was good. Thank you. Now, quit giving away my content and make sure people subscribe. This isn't the Friday podcast. Okay. Let's get to Eagles talk. All right, fair enough. We will have on this episode a little bird on the street uh, from our trip to the Care Complex today and some other transactional news. We'll have Shields thoughts on the game after watching the All-22 in Squall 22. And then we will take some of your questions in getting a bird in edgewise. And at the end of the show today, you will be uh, gifted with an episode of The Athletic's new podcast, The Lead. So uh, stay tuned for that. The episode is on Antonio Brown. Let's start with uh, the Eagles. And I guess with the transactions, uh, first of all, Alex Ellis and Craig James do the practice squad active roster do do that they started last week. Alex Ellis bumped up to the active roster as the second or third tight end, depending on whether Dallas Goddard plays on Sunday. Craig James got to play one defensive snap, and then he goes back to the practice squad. Um, Also, Tim McManus reporting that Deshaun Jackson has an abdominal strain, and he will be out for probably about two weeks. And uh, we still don't have official word on Tim Jernigan, but the report since we last talked is that 
he has uh, an injury that's probably going to keep him out for about six to eight weeks or so. Uh, why don't we start with you, Zach? What do you make of the uh, the low-hanging fruit transactions from today? Well, they probably could have done without that shuffle last week. It yeah, would have been for sure. for them if they had just kept Alex Ellis on the roster. Would have had him uh, at least as an able body or a body, perhaps. Yeah, they wouldn't for, have had to cross out like entire pages of the playbook yeah. for the day. Yeah, for Sunday night. Uh, so maybe they got too cute for their own good. I'm actually a little uh, bit surprised that they did this one this early, though, because like no one's no one's batting down the hatches to sign Alex Ellis off the Eagles practice squad. They waited for this two weeks ago. They waited for Craig James last week. Why couldn't they wait for this one this week? Very valid point. Uh, perhaps it says something about Dallas Goddard. Perhaps it does. By the way, I need to, uh, sorry, I need to jump in here and just, you know, that argument about they're planning on playing a lot of 12 personnel and you lose Goddard and that throws your whole game plan away. I mean, give me a break. You're going into a game with two tight ends. There's a chance one of your tight ends is going to get injured. You don't have a backup plan. I think the argument that, all right, Goddard, Jackson, Jeffrey, everybody's getting injured. That limits everything. That I can buy, but uh, I don't know. Do, am I off base here? I mean, these coaches prepare for every scenario, and you're telling me you go into a game with two tight ends and one of them gets injured, and so uh, you know you're not you're not ready to adjust. That that doesn't seem valid to me. So I think my take on that is that if it is true that like they you know they really wanted to play these twelve personnel packages against the Falcons then they shouldn't have gone into the game with just two tight ends. Then, like, then they should have had a third tight end on the active roster. So I think, I think you're right in that you can't really have it both ways. Okay. Yes, I agree with, with uh, both of you. I, I pointed that out in my observations after the game, although I think their, their desire to play 12 personnel was predicated more upon those two tight ends than it was simply right. it's that. It's more about we want Dallas Goddard on the field than you know, we think the Falcons can't defend two tight ends at once. Exactly. So I, I think it was it was more thinking that Goddard can go in there. Uh, that being said, I do think it's a little short sighted to go into a game with two tight ends and five cornerbacks and five and five defensive backs. So they had 10 secondary players and they had two tight ends. There's more of a chance mm-hmm. that one tight end would go down than like three defensive backs. Uh, so I, I am a little I, I do question their roster composition going into that game. Yeah, I think that's right. And I think I said in the post-camp pod that they were sort of, they were sort of asking for it. Um, I think it just in general, Shiel, you know, this is something that we have talked about uh, for a couple of years now, the, uh, the sort of iffy results that have come out of the Eagles training staff. But, uh, you know, this is an older team. It is odd, obviously, to have three guys go down in pregame warm-ups and, like, the first quarter of the game. But... Uh, do you add this to your like long list of concerns about the Eagles medical staff? What happened on Sunday? Well, I don't think it goes in the same category. You know, some of the other ones, I thought those were kind of questionable practices where we had, you know, Hey, why is Wentz doing this? And then he's not doing it. Why is JHI playing? And then he's not what Jalen mill, you know, the list goes, Matt Collins, the list goes on and on. This, like, there is a scenario where it could just be coincidence, but I think it's also something to keep an eye on for sure and investigate and report on, given that they did make changes to the medical training staffs in the offseason. And, uh, yeah, it does seem pretty unusual. And then, 
you guys correct me if I'm wrong. I was not at uh, Doug Peterson's press conference on one hour of sleep like you guys were. But he said, what did he say? That if, if this were like a, a playoff game, those guys could have gutted it out. Yeah, it sounded like that one might that that's one that could last. I thought uh, he, he said he bit he did say that he would hope that some of those guys could have gutted it out if it was a playoff game, which made it sound like he was sort of calling them out a little bit. And I'm sure that that was not his intention. But uh, that is that is the way that it sounded. Yeah, I thought that. I mean, you, you guys can tell me, but just hearing that sort of secondhand, I'm sure uh, Peterson was on like no sleep, and I, you know, that might be one that he wants back. But man, now if you lose the division by one game, if you miss the playoffs by one game, uh, you know, I, I I know how the Philadelphia media core is. A certain uh, certain reporter with the initial ZB might be in the front row after week 17 saying, Doug, you said after week Ooh. two that maybe those guys could have gutted it out. You ended up losing the game. Uh, any, any regrets or, and then you get a hindsight 2020, that kind of thing. I don't know. That's where my mind went. I like that. When that does, I heard that that does that sound like, uh, like Zoe Bevilacqua. <laughs> yeah. But I actually had a different interpretation okay. of Doug answering that. I, I think I interpreted Doug answering that more as, at this point, you don't want to risk re-injury or, or you don't want to risk injuring it further. That if you, as he said, if you're in a playoff game, a gotta-have-it game, a must-have game, then if you go down, you know, and then you're out for a month, there's there's potentially no football thereafter. If they gut it out in week two and you have a calf strain that, that turns into a, a major injury, you're out for a few months. That's how I interpreted it, at least, sitting there. Which I think is totally valid. I think he might be, he probably just didn't maybe articulate it uh, in the best way. But uh, I think that's which right. would not be the first time that's happened. Yeah. <laughs> and listen, I mean, wow. We're, we're, wow. I, I don't mean that. Firm. I like it. I don't mean that in a bad way. I, I just mean that if you have a conversation with Doug, um, it's sometimes different than what he says when he's standing at that lecture. Okay. It's hard. It's hard to have like every single word you say be taken at face value and like you can't just misspeak at all. It's tough. I know that's right. Mm. Uh, I think with Deshaun, you know, he was never going to play 16 games, right? That's that's sort of the expectation going in. And it was a real tease seeing how much he changed the offense in week one. And now uh, Eagles fans will have to wait probably three weeks at least of uh, full game action of not seeing him. But I think you sort of have to, to Zach's point about the playoff thing, you sort of have to play the long game with Deshaun and, and hope that you can just get him to the end of the season. I And I do think that is the most significant of the injuries, you know, especially just uh, re-watching the film just now before we started. I mean, they were getting, we'll get to it, you know, there were some plays there obviously at the end where they got downfield, but there is no speed threat. And it did lead me to sort of a bigger picture question. And I know people will, uh, you know, think I'm going back to resources here. But when you look at the way they've spent some of the resources with, whether it's Jeffrey and our Sega Whiteside and Goddard and Ertz and kind of these I don't want to call them all similar types of players, but you know what I mean. None of these guys, none of these guys are ones that are really getting down the field and give you that speed element. You know, I, I do wonder if the thought has come to them or they've second guessed themselves about maybe we should have added a little bit more diversity with some speed, some guys who can threaten downfield, even if they're not uh, a Deshaun Jackson type, because when he goes down, it's just like that part 
is pretty much over unless you scheme someone open or you win a little a match up here and there. But overall, that part of the offense, you just cannot replicate that uh, to any degree anywhere else. So I, that does remind me of one other thing, which is that, you know, I don't want to be too harsh on a guy two years or two games into his career. But J.J. Ortega-Whiteside played that whole game and did nothing. Uh, you know, there were a few miscommunications, it seemed like, where he was not on the same page with Carson Wentz. Uh, you know, he ended up with one catch for four yards. And if you want to second-guess some things, like early on, there are some wide receivers who were taken after Ortega-Whiteside in this draft who have already made a significant impact. D.K. Metcalf, Terry McLaurin, I think even Paris Campbell has uh, has done a little bit. So uh, Deontay Johnson with the Steelers. So, I mean, I know that this is, like, super, super early, but the people who were saying that, uh, you know, you nail, they, they've already nailed these three picks, so it doesn't matter, uh, like, people who loved Ortega Whiteside and then he had that good preseason game, like, let's – he still needs to prove a lot, and he was not ready to play when they really, really could have used some juice out of him on Sunday. I uh, do think it's it's too soon to say that. I, I think the criticism of his game on Sunday is fair. I don't think he played well enough. I, I don't think he played well at all, frankly, and they certainly needed him to step in. You can attribute that perhaps in part to, uh, to, to not getting practice time. He was with the scout team. But when the lights are on, you you do need to play. Um, so so there, there's no asterisks on the box score for players who did not have first-team reps in practice. Uh, that being said, it is fair to look at some of these other receivers who were, uh, who were drafted, in particular DK Metcalf, because that's a name that was thrown out frequently uh, on the draft weekend. And it's it, these are comparisons you're going to make with J.J. Ortega-Whiteside because – he was considered somewhat of a luxury pick. You know, you were taking a player at a position that's not an immediate need for you because you like the value, because you like the long-term play, and you kind of need him to pan out. And I, I, I still like what I saw from him this summer. I think he's much better than how he appeared on on Sunday. Uh, but we're going to see it up, up close here Sunday assuming Deshaun doesn't play, perhaps Alshon doesn't play, I think he's going to get some serious work. That's right. I think we'll get to see a a larger sample size. And I also think we have to look at the type of receiver he is compared to those other guys who might be winning with their route running and their speed. I mean, his game is really winning with size, and there's a certain level of trust, I think, for his game with the quarterback that is necessary for him to succeed. And you're absolutely right, Bo, that that was not there on Sunday. There was the back shoulder throw where uh, Carson Wentz was expecting him to come back shoulder. He did not. It nearly turned into an interception. And there was a close up on Wentz after that play. And he certainly was not happy with that miscommunication. And to be fair, there was some of that with Mac Hollins as well uh, during that game where they just weren't on the same page. So I, I think given the circumstances it may be something to keep an eye on, but you know if that were to happen again Sunday, those types of things, I would be uh, more concerned. But I think there's certainly a possibility that those guys will play better uh, on Sunday now that they they know what's up here. And that also reminds me that you know th- there will probably be more transactions for the Eagles coming down the pike this week, even if Deshaun if Deshaun can't go and and Alshon is you know questionable, they probably need to add a receiver, and then they're probably going to have to add a defensive tackle as well. So. 
Uh, we'll see what happen, what kind of churn they have at the at the bottom of the roster. Uh, in terms of the press conferences today and the locker room, now I know there was not we were in the locker room and uh, there was not much going on there at all, Zach. But what did you learn from? Why don't we start with Jim Schwartz? Yeah, so Jim Schwartz uh, really said they, they they didn't blitz that much more than they did the week before. We, uh, Zach, Sheila, uh, you missed this. They, we had a feisty Zach uh, with Jim Schwartz at the end of the press conference today, so I hope he gets to that think part. That was, I don't think that was feisty. I thought that I was, I thought that was, that was dogged reporter ZB. What was the topic? I need to, wa- I need to watch this now after the pod. So, well, you can tell the story. <laughs> so after the game, you know, Matt Ryan said uh, he's he can't remember ever playing in a game where the opposing defense had as many zero blitzes as the Eagles had in that game. And Jim Schwartz did his uh, sort of typical dance today where he was saying, well, you know, we didn't we didn't really blitz that much. It was just uh, they were the big plays of the game and, it, you know, it wasn't a crazy amount. And so the press conference ends and, and Schwartz is walking away and Zach stands up from his chair and yells across the room and says, Matt Ryan said after the game that was the most zero blitzes he's ever seen. Was that hyperbole or, or what? <laughs> and Schwartz, you know, Schwartz gave him, well, you'll have to ask Matt Ryan. But it was like, uh, it was like, it was like he was going into the White House press room with the, uh, the, the weight <laughs> of the question that he needed answered. I loved it. Good. No, I, I, I certainly did not intend it to be that way. I, I do think, though, sometimes someone's got to keep like, these, these people accountable. No, it's it's not even that. It's it's these these press conferences just kind of end. You know, <laughs> it's it's like you hit a certain time point and it's over. And if you're if you're seeking context on something, I, I, all I was doing was seeking context. I, I uh, I've done this with Doug before, whereas he's walking off. I'll, I'll just try to get clarification on something. Uh, because you don't necessarily want to burn a question. And I certainly wasn't looking for like a, a back and forth when he was at the lectern. I was just simply looking for a clarification. If if the volume was what you say it, it was, that was merely because of the distance as he was walking away. As you know, Shield, Jim Schwartz isn't one of these guys who kind of like meanders to the door. No. You know, he's, he's walking out. briskly. Yeah. yeah. So so I, I was trying to get it to him and he didn't even break stride. He just said <laughs> He just said, you'd have to ask Matt Ryan that. So, well, I'm expect. Go ahead. No, that reminds me of, uh, you know, when Bo and I returned to the beat for the athletic, I, th- I think it's fine to tell this story now. He might've told it before, but you know, we, we return and, uh, you know, we tell beat relations, say, you know, we'd just kind of like to say hi to the coordinators and, um, you, you know, Doug, just introduce ourselves. You know how. So when you're at a press sure. conference, it's not like who's the new guy, and you just say say hi. We weren't expecting for anything big, but uh, I think. Oh, I don't. I don't know that we were together actually for both of these. I, I know that I. I think we might have been separate, but anyway, I just remember being introduced to Jim Schwartz, and it was basically just what you said. You know, it was uh, handshake, hello, right. how you On doing? He was. He was inside, uh, and then Frank Reich. I mean, you know, we could have spoke for an hour probably out there uh, by that tent. You know, he's just he's asking questions. You're talking to him. And then finally, it's like, all right, he's got something better to do. But it, it was kind of funny seeing their two personalities on my first or second day uh, returning to Philadelphia. I was walking by Jim Schwartz after the week one game, going back up to the elevator. And I passed by him and I say, uh, I say, how's it going, Jim? See you this week. And he was like, see ya, something like that. <laughs> and the reporter who I was walking with was like, 
wait, did Jim Schwartz just say hello? And I was like, no, he was responding to me saying hello. So <laughs> the the uh, doggedness of Zach's question there has me imagining that like after our pod tonight, he's going to be meeting some low level defensive assistant in a uh, in an abandoned parking lot trying to get answers <laughs> on uh, what the truth is about. <laughs> Uh, the zero blitzes from from Jim Schwartz. Um, anything else well, from the coordinators well, just, today? Go just, ahead. Just to clear up, I am you know for my piece on Wednesday. I like looking up that that type of thing, so I will uh, at least be able to tell our audience what the numbers say in terms of how much more did they blitz. You can even uh, classify it by how many rushers did they send. Those types of things, and so I, I have planned on looking that stuff up. It wasn't up earlier today on Sport Radar, but. Uh, I will be able to hopefully get uh, get some answers there on the athletic and a piece that will post on Wednesday. And that is the Jim Schwartz staple: is when he does blitz, he tends to blitz big. So it's like it's like me not want you know what it's like Bo not wanting to talk about his previous job in uh, social media, Zach not wanting to talk uh, about his honeymoon. This is Jim Schwartz when he gets asked about blitzing. Like I will concede nothing. What is your next question? And this has been a running theme. I do I think that, you, like, both of you are quiet I, and silent. There, I huh? do think that, like, philosophically, it is like very passive aggressive of Jim Schwartz to be like, "Oh, you want to blitz, huh? Well, if you want to blitz, then I'm going to just blitz everybody. Why not?" <laughs> like, it's like maybe I kind of like that. Um, and, and by the way, I, I should say I really enjoy covering Jim Schwartz because I find him to be smart. I find him to be entertaining, and I think he's a really good defensive coordinator. So I I, I hope that. I think so. Listeners don't, yeah, don't take what I was. Yeah, I, I, I wasn't attacking Jim Schwartz. I was just trying to get clarification. Yeah, on that on that note, I know we're at not the, whatever that weird segment name Bo came up with yet, but uh, Squall Twenty Two. Man, what a! I thought that was a, a tremendous performance from Jim Schwartz on Sunday. Like if they would have won that game, I know Wentz would have got credit for the end, but he was like they were so out of their usual character in that game with the with the blitzes with that play where Fletcher Cox dropped into coverage and nearly had an interception that was an ama- what a call that was mm. that would have i mean what a way to scheme up a potential turnover and and Chris Collinsworth was harping on it but it really felt like it was true where Schwartz was like we're going to win this game with turnovers and sacks and big plays like we're, this isn't bend or break this is like get the ball back for the offense they're banged up uh, they need us right now and yeah, whether it was, you know, calling plays where they doubled Julio Jones, maybe a little bit more than they have in um, in previous matchups with the Falcons, whether it was some of those zero blitzes. I mean, the Sendejo blitz, Brandon Graham and Derek Barnett both dropped back into coverage. Yeah, I remember seeing uh, Barnett go on that sack. Like these are things that we do not. They're, they're just so out of character and they obviously worked uh, so well, except for. Uh, you know that that one play, but uh, I I thought this was like one of his uh, really good jobs, single game jobs as a defensive coordinator the past couple of years. I agree with the praise of Schwartz there, hundred percent. However, I do think that you mentioned sacks. They only had one sack. It was that Sandejo play, and I think that's a problem with this defense right now. They're they're not getting enough pressure from their edge rushers, especially. I asked Jim Schwartz about this today, so so this is consistent with our segment. Um, <laughs> Schwartz, uh, they have not had back-to-back games without multiple sacks since the week 15, week 16 of the 2017 season, and I believe it's only happened one other time in Schwartz's time as defensive coordinator here. 
so this is a defense that's predicated upon getting to the quarterback and predicated upon getting to the quarterback usually with a four-man rush, and you're just not seeing it. And it goes to Bo's point going into camp, which was concern about their defensive ends. Uh, Jim Schwartz said he really liked the pressure that they're getting. He said he'd much rather have interceptions than, than a sack. Uh, now, those two aren't mutually exclusive. Right. And <laughs> What a, what a false did, choice that is. <laughs> and I, I did interject, which is hard to do with Jim. I did interject and say, well, you did. he did have a lot of other dropbacks where you didn't, did not get sacks. And he said that they don't always result in sacks. Um, it's, you know, he was real happy with the pass rush overall. Uh, but this is something to watch going forward because to not have any of your edge rushers have a sack through two games, uh, Fletcher Cox doesn't have a sack yet. Your only two sacks this season are from Tim Jernigan and Andrew Sandejo. Uh, I know the argument that sacks don't tell all, but I do think sacks tell quite a bit. And I do think for this defense to reach its potential, they need to get more sacks. Where do you think the Eagles rank in uh, sack rate? You know, when, when you look at sacks per drop back. 30th. 30th. Uh, I'd, I'd guess 32nd. No, no, no. The, the Dolphins are bad. I, I'm guessing 31st. Uh, they are 31st, but you would never guess who is 32nd unless you just know it. I don't know. Who is it? It's got to be a team who's 2-0. and It is not. Mm. The Bears. It's Houston Texans. The Denver Broncos have not, have not had a sack through two games, and they've got Von Miller, Bradley Chubb, and Vic Fangio. Uh, so it is kind of this – it is very weird. If you would have told me the Eagles and the Broncos would be 31st and 32nd uh, in sack percentage – I hope that wasn't in your story. I, I, read, I read your story today. That wasn't in there, right? That wasn't. Maybe maybe yeah. I'll, uh, I'll include that in the uh, game picks. But, uh, you know, I, I think Bo and I have certainly had this conversation, and it's like the sack conversation has gone back and forth for a while. It was overrated, and then it's now it feels like it's underrated because everyone's tracking pressure. And it's like, no, sacks actually kill drives and are really important and can lead to fumbles and, you know, certainly big losses in – Yardage, and uh, I don't agree with Schwartz. I know he has to he has to say it, but uh, I do not see any type of consistent pressure with their defensive line right now. Uh, Fletcher Cox, I, I don't know how much the injury he had in the summer is affecting him. How much he just needs to sort of get a few games under his belt, but um, you know certainly he did not have the type of impact I was expecting in that game Sunday night. Derek Barnett, same thing. Brandon Graham, same thing. I mean, those are the guys you're counting on to really lead this pass rush. And, you know, Jim Schwartz can say what he wants at the podium on a Tuesday. He told us with his actions what he thought about the pass rush on Sunday night. Right, exactly. By dialing up all those blitzes. I mean, it's not like they've got, you know, shut down corners. He was like, I got to do something. If we just rush four and I let him uh, stand back there and we're not getting home, we have no chance of winning this game. So I watched that game and really thought, you know, upon rewatching, I was like, you know, the, the defensive backs, I thought played a lot better than I thought live, you know, maybe Ronald Darby aside, we can get to that in the next segment. I, I thought really uh, the issues they had defensively were totally on the defensive line for not being able to get any type of a pass rush without blitzing. Well, why don't we get to, why don't we get to your thoughts? Uh, so why don't we keep it on the Eagles and, and get your, your squall 22 thoughts. And, and I guess I want to start shield with the question I asked Zach after the first game, which is, after two games now, 
do you feel any different, and if so, how so, about the Eagles than you did entering week one? And, uh, of course, you uh, get to watch the tape of all the teams. Uh, you, you watch so much tape that your eyes are bleeding. So tell, tell us the truth. Do I feel differently about them than I did when uh, the season started? Yes. Uh, and inju- is this injuries aside or taking injuries into no, account? No, you can take injuries into account. Um, I wouldn't say I feel drastically different. I would, I would say I'm probably a little uh, less bullish than I was. A little more bearish. Yeah, you could say that. Uh, you know, I think, I think the, a big theme in this game was the offensive line uh, not playing well and not winning that matchup, and it cost them on so many big plays uh, in this game. And the biggest one, which I had to just keep you know, going back and watching it because I couldn't believe it, was that 4th and 14 uh, to Nelson Aguilar, the 43-yard completion. That is a touchdown if Carson Wentz is not pressured on that play. You know, I, I think you guys were both... Uh, well, and, he say- ca- and if Nelson Aguilar catches it. No, no, no. I'm talking about the one he no, did no. catch. No, no. I know, but if he was even uh, more wide open, well, maybe he drops that one too. Well, <laughs> yeah. So uh, I know you guys said Wentz called that play. It is the the classic all-go special, which is basically if you're in the playground or the backyard, everybody just go deep, including the running back, uh, running down the middle of the field. So and, there was nobody cut- to bait the safety because they said they did something to bait Keanu Neal up. Well, and- he did. Go ahead. Oh, oh, no, I, I was going to say, and, and Neil did bite on something there. Yes, yeah, I, I, not, I, maybe sometimes on that one of the guys can kind of curl up and doesn't continue uh, going deep, so that he certainly did bite on that, and Nelson Aguilar is bending his, uh, bending his route across the field, and I'm looking at it saying, oh, this, you know, I watched it first, and I thought, oh, you know, Wentz didn't make a great throw there. It hung in the air. Aguilar has to slow down and catch it, and then you watch the other angle, and uh, Jason Peters and Isaac Sayamalu are giving up pressure where it's an unbelievable throw. I mean, Wentz is, you know, Wentz is getting crushed and he still somehow gets the ball downfield. But if he were to able to step into that throw with Keanu Neal, for some reason, uh, you know, biting, biting on the cheese, as uh, our friend Chip used to say, that is a touchdown and like an unbelievable bust by the Falcons. And, uh, you know, this unbelievable play, for the Eagles in week two. So that was the play that I was just, uh, I was just kind of stunned by, um, you know, when I, when I was watching it, I do have to say that, um, like, uh, philosophically the, from like a game theory perspective, that was always one of my favorite, uh, play calls in uh, bubble ball or like backyard football is you're, you're like fourth in, you know, middle and, and they think they got to guard the sticks. And so you just go for it all. I love that. Yeah, it was, uh, it was, and there, and this was kind of like a running theme, you know, there was, uh, uh, I thought Zach Ertz actually had a really good game and I thought he could have had a monster game. I think they left two touchdowns on the field to him. Wentz was late on one throw, I thought, and the other one was kind of the same deal as that, uh, that last play where Wentz was pressured. Uh, if he wasn't, they had a great call Ertz on a corner route. Uh, I think against cover two where he got behind the uh, underneath defender and the, the safety was not in position to break on the ball where he's just kind of waving his hands in the end zone where it would, uh, it would have been a touchdown. And there was another third down in the fourth quarter where it was uh, exactly 
the same thing. And on that one, I think it was the only time all game Brandon Brooks actually gave up a quarterback hit. He got hit, beat by uh, Grady Jarrett. If he didn't, Carson Wentz has Zach Ertz wide open for a big play there. And, uh, you know, they're able to score earlier in that quarter. Instead, they had to punt on that drive. So I was very complimentary of the offensive line after week one. I thought they did a fantastic job against Washington. And I thought this was overall uh, a pretty disappointing performance for the offensive line. And specifically, if you want to single one guy out, I know this is not a surprise to anyone who watched the game, but Isaac Sayamalu uh, did not have a good game and just had his hands full with Grady Jarrett, both, uh, you know, on run plays, pass penalties, you name it. So he, he certainly got a bounce back. This week against the Lions team, who well, you know, their strength is really, um, you know, they've got Trey Flowers and they've got some talent uh, on the interior defensive line. Yeah, I know we've actually had a few questions about Sayamalo, and I think there's a uh, subjective website out there that uh, rated him as one of the worst, or uh, the worst offensive lineman this week. But uh, are you are you uh, significantly like really concerned about him, or are you thinking this was uh, just a bad game? Would you be Would you be thinking about making a move? Uh, I, no, I wouldn't be thinking about making a move. I, I think J- Grady Jarrett's obviously the Falcons' best defensive player. You know, that's not an excuse, but certainly Sayamalu isn't the most experienced player, and I think he has the talent and he's done some good things that you just kind of coach him through it. And, you know, maybe a month from now we're saying, hey, remember how he bounced back from that uh, that game against the Falcons? I don't know. Maybe I mean, he's I just he- really bad in week twos. Yeah, I was thinking that, right? That's a good point. I, I yeah. like that. Now, Mike Rowe did say today uh, it was not Isaac's best game, and Isaac would probably tell you the same. Yeah. Oh, that's as close as the... Exactly. That's good. That's a, that's quite revealing for Mike Rowe. He has gotten better. Zach was saying that he thinks he's gotten a lot better. Yeah. I don't think he would have said today that was last not, year. Today was not the worst uh, Mike Rowe press conference. I thought he was, he, he was okay. He actually even had a joke today, which was funny. Yeah, he made Bo laugh, which is an accomplishment. Yeah. What did he say? Uh, someone was asking it like, uh, I think it was, was it Tim who was asking about the, the throw to Matt Collins, you know, the one where he's getting dragged down or it was someone else, I think. Uh, and, and you know, w- what do you do when you're looking at that? Is there like any teaching thing to that? And so Gro was like, oh yeah, we rep that every day. Like press, press does a good job repping that in practice. Uh, like very, very sarcastically. It was good. Oh. Well, that, that might not be taken as a joke by. Everybody doesn't Patrick Mahomes practice the weird throws? Does he? Steph, oh, oh, Steph Curry? Got, yeah, the left the uh, left-handed throw, right? Or the, in the no looks? Yeah, yeah. Actually actually some of these uh some of these guys do practice these really weird things. So, anyway. Okay. Yeah. Uh what are your other uh, big I guess elsewhere on the offense was there anything that uh, that jumped out at you that needs to be said? Elsewhere, you know, I was kind of surprised. I thought, Bo, you were very harsh on uh, Aguilar in the postgame pot. Yeah. Well, what do you want? It's a postgame pot. It was three in the morning. What? What is? Yeah, what is your? I mean, is your sense that the fan base? Uh, I feel like you were kind of reflecting the fan base, and it kind of surprised me. Given, I, I don't know. I know the Super Bowl honeymoon period is over, and this is Philadelphia and all that, but. Like this guy was as clutch as could be in the game, you know, in the game-winning drive of a Super Bowl. Well, okay, this feels like a this feels like the kind of argument I would expect Zach to make that once you play well <laughs> in the Super Bowl, then everything else is forgiven. Uh, I mean, it's not forgiven, but I well, don't here's know. the thing: he dropped a pass. Well, he dropped a pass, but I think this is the same thing we saw last year that when the Eagles need him to be 
like a playmaker on offense when they don't have anybody else besides Zach Ertz. I mean, he did lead the team in receiving, so maybe I'm being harsh, but I feel like he has come up small a lot when he has had the opportunity to sort of be the man. But is he playing under his talent level, or is that who he is? I mean, who he is is not someone who should be dropping that one pass. Like, come on. That's like that's that's the kind of play that that can wipe out an entire Super Bowl run. No, wipe out an entire Super Bowl run. What are you not for him? Memory wise, crazy. Like, I mean, I don't know. That play wasn't oh he loved. That was a game. He lost the game with that play. I I feel like Sunday night was the entire Nelson Aguilar experience in one game. Okay, well said. Th- that's that's a good line. I think that's who he is. That's probably you know? fair. He caught a touchdown on fourth down. That, that, that was a nice play. He had a couple, uh, he had a few third down conversions. Uh, you know, that last play, that's a 60 yard touchdown. Yes, you're right if he catches it. And we're having a different uh, conversation. And then he botches the big, uh, oh, no, I'm sorry, the, the one he dropped, obviously, would have been a 60 yard touchdown. But he comes through with a 43 yard. one that was a di- would have been a difficult catch, but he could have had another touchdown. The one in the end zone or the sideline? The one in the end zone. Yeah, I mean, see, that one to me... It's a difficult that's, catch. That's, like, not a play I'm expecting him to make. Okay, well, well, yeah, maybe you, maybe you are benefiting from ha- just having lower expectations for him, and maybe I should lower my expectations, but, like, I mean, he was a... I mean, and, and we don't have to relitigate the pick, but he was a first-round pick. Like, he's a talented guy. It's not... He, he is, well, I think, underperforming his talent. Uh, I don't know that I agree with that. No, I don't I think, think that he's like, you know, I do believe that, you know, he is one of the, like, the harder workers. Everybody talks about this in the locker room. I, I don't think that it is for, like, you know, want of effort. But I think that, I think it is fair to say that he is consistently disappointing, at least over the last two seasons. Well, I, I guess consistently. I, I mean, I, I thought 2017, he was not consistent. He was, he was not very disapp- good in 2017. He was a top five slot receiver. Yeah, and he was he was and like Shield said, he was one of the best players on the field in the Super Bowl, or, or at least one of the most productive players on the field in in the Super Bowl. I, I do think he was inconsistent at times last year, especially after the Golden Tate trade. Um, and this year, I thought Shield summed it up really well. I, I know I'm kissing Shield's butt here, but but that's the truth. That was the full Nelson Aguilar experience. You pick your head up at the end of the game. And you look at the stat line, it was really impressive. Uh, he made some really nice catches, and, and he had a bad mistake that was a game-changing mistake. Uh, I think it was the full Nelson Aguilar, mystery, full Nelson Aguilar experience. I'm not going to bury him for dropping a pass, though, for the same reason you're not burying Alshon Jeffrey for missing a, a, a pass in the playoff game last year. You know, there's, there's going to be times when mistakes happen. For him, it, it was just... A potential go-ahead touchdown. Well, this is like this is like the thing you were talking about with being a receiver, the uh, shield the other day, and, and yeah, how it, how it, be it so sucks. Boring. But like, imagine this was imagine this was a left tackle, and he like had a shutdown game the whole game. But on the biggest play of the game, he he gave up a strip sack. Like you could you could have you could that's what I was just you could say that. I mean, if Jason Peters and Isaac Sayamalu block a guy. Then Wentz probably throws a touchdown to Aguilar on that final play. If, if Isaac Sayamalu is not the worst offensive player on the field, they might score uh, two more touchdowns. Brandon Brooks got beat that one time in pass protection. That could have been a 20-plus yard play. So I, I think it. I think there is actually a comparison there. But, like, 
those guys don't get crushed. I mean, I understand being like, uh, being, uh, certainly right after the game, like everyone's, you know, you look at that one play and it was huge and it couldn't have been thrown better. And it was right in his hands. Uh, you know, great call. He had a great re- release at the line of scrimmage, all those different types of things. But, um, I just feel like that's who is, who he is. I think it's a matter of expectations. I mean, you say first round pick, I feel like we have a lot. We've had so many ups that's and fair. downs. I, I do feel a little guy. dirty about just calling him a first round pick. Yeah. But, I mean, and, I, and I don't there, like, the thing of like oh he's getting paid this or getting paid that that doesn't matter now that he's like he's he's on the team now i mean it it has been just a like a fascinating career from just being a total um you know head case so you weren't sure if he was going to contribute at all to the bouncing back the next year he's making plays in the super bowl and uh, you're probably right that since then it's been a little bit disappointing but i don't know i feel like that's who he is at this point he's not going to make that play in the end zone where he's getting uh nailed in the back uh you know, he, he's going to have drops or miscues, whether it's um, route adjustments or, you know, that type of thing. He, he's going to make those mistakes. He's certainly not flawless in those areas. And then he's going to come up with some really nice catches. But uh, I don't know. I feel like his ceiling is lower from, you know, I don't expect this guy. I don't think he has like a Pro Bowl wide receiver ceiling. I think he's a nice kind of complimentary piece. You ideally want, you know, probably two guys who are better than him uh, in your wide receiving group. You know, maybe if you have one and good players elsewhere, you can probably live with that. But um, I don't know. That that, that was uh, kind of a Nelson Aguilar conversation, I guess. Well, it's fair to say now that uh, you have officially made Nelson Aguilar one of your guys. That <laughs> now he's, he's, he's now he's, susu- he's now susceptible to the Capadia curse, and oh my uh, that's going to be bad. That is full effect, is it not? Full effect. I mean, st- I picked a Steelers-Saints Super Bowl, <laughs> and both teams lost their starting quarterbacks in week two. One guy, I mean, two guys who have been very durable, at least one guy. Yeah. That, that was something. That's Cam a- Newton now That's why miss- I told you, you got to stay away from Frank Reich, for the love of I, God. I really should. Oh, poor Nelson Aguilar. I'm yeah. sorry. Um, okay, anything else on defense? And I, I know you already said that uh, you sort of, in general, thought that this was a great Jim Schwartz game. Was there anything else uh, that jumped out to you? I'll tell you one player who I thought played like one of his best games as an Eagle. And maybe I don't know what I'm watching. And this is crazy. I thought Rodney McLeod was flying around. I gave him the game ball. I saw that. And I was like, oh, come on. That's weak. You know, you just saw how many tackles he had. That's what I was thinking when I saw you do that. And then I watched this like he was all over the place. Yeah. He was was flying around. Yeah, like I, I, I feel like Rodney McLeod's best days as an Eagle were before we rejoined the beat, it felt like. And then once we were there, I was like, okay, he does some things good, some things not that good. Uh, the way he's moving, coming off like a big injury last year, I mean, he's firing downhill against the run. He, he had a great pass breakup on Julio Jones on third down. Remember that one in the middle of the field where yes. he came flying in? He, he uh, maintained great depth on a... Uh, pass to the end zone where he and Ronald Darby yep. broke it up. I think it was to Ridley late in the game. Uh, I thought this was one of the best games I've seen him play since uh, since I came back to Philadelphia. Maybe I'm crazy. I don't know. And what's great about it is they have him and Malcolm Jenkins and another guy playing at a really high level in Andrew Sandejo. Well, that's a good, that's a good conversation to to lead into here because I think they need to move towards their dime personnel grouping being four cornerbacks and two safeties and getting Sendejo off the field. I love it. Putting Maddox deep and uh, Jenkins in the slot. 
I don't know. You can do it. I mean, those are some versatile guys. You can, they yeah. can figure it out. I don't know what he's giving you. I mean, I totally agree. Uh, when he's playing, like, I mean, I'd rather even I'd even rather see Cyprian in there at this point. Uh, I don't know about that. Well, I'd rather see I anybody. I'd rather see, lot- <laughs> I'd rather see you in there at this point. I think you're going to get a lot more of the same with uh, <laughs> with Cyprian. But uh, yeah, when he's playing, you know, the back part, uh, when he even if it's like two deep safeties, like he's just uh, his instincts don't look seem good. He's he's a step slow. He's not always in the right place. And then you're telling me he's a great hitter. I mean, we saw that in week one. He was responsible for a big play. And I think, and I'm trying to get uh, uh, some more information on this, but I feel like the big touchdown that Ronald Darby is getting crushed, you know, probably got crushed for live or after the game. I I mean, I'm pretty sure Sandejo is supposed to, I I think that that was kind of like, yeah, I think that was quarters to that side of the field and he's supposed to stay deep and like be all over that. If that's a post, uh, if that's a post route. So uh, I am, I I think their actions will probably tell us uh, whether they agree or not, but uh, yeah, I, I don't see the harm in playing four cornerbacks and two safeties, especially you know, if it's, uh, you know, two minute drill or third and long, those types of things. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, anything else on the defense? Uh, I, I mean, thought, uh, go ahead. I thought, I thought a couple of Z Burmas boys had a couple, uh, Sydney <laughs> Jones. Okay. Sydney Jones, who I thought played very well. Actually, I thought so. Well, I thought so too. Live, and it was, but and it's so weird. Like he makes that really nice play. Uh, I think tackling Julio Jones was it, uh, like you know on a, on a, like a two yes. yard pass or whatever. And then he comes out of the he comes out of the game the next play. They're going with this rotation with uh, with Rasul Douglas. I don't know if it's like if there's injury related stuff there, but it is uh, it is odd. Yeah, I thought he made a handful of plays where he like got off a block and made a really nice solo tackle. Um, and in coverage, I think there was like one third down uh, or one first down that he gave up. But I, you know, he certainly um, was not a problem. So I thought that was a pretty encouraging performance by him. I mentioned McLeod. You know, Rasul Douglas. I thought bounced back pretty nicely in this game. I thought so. And uh, Ronald Darby. I know I, I crushed him like last week, and you know that's exactly what happened. Is that uh, coverage was good, but he, uh, <laughs> you know, but that one was like legit, like oh, fantastic. well, the one on the sideline, the one on the yes. side, uh, on one of the greatest catches I've ever seen. That was insane. Yeah, yeah. His uh, Darby's worst rep was the one that Matt Ryan was terrible in this game. By the way, that Falcons yeah. team, I feel like, is in a lot of trouble. I mean, he's thrown five interceptions in two weeks, and I feel like every single one of them is on him and then he, he, he didn't missed like at least on, he missed at least two wide open touchdowns on over two touchdowns right? he, he missed two touchdowns and threw three interceptions uh, i don't know what's going on with him in that, that offense they do not uh, uh that was not an impressive win i thought for that I think, wait but I honest think, question i, here, I think, though, z, I think z berm is in his head i don't think it's that. yeah bad. i think that is it but <laughs> i i would consider the falcons the favorite right now in the nfc south oh my gosh it's killing me you know but, you might you might uh yeah, you you might be right. I mean, they like, they have the talent to turn around. Right? I think it's still the Saints. Really? I don't think Breeze is going to be out. He's not. Isn't he only going to be out six like weeks. six weeks? Six weeks. Yeah, that's that's a long time. Yeah, be they're, fine. they're one and one. So you know, if 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 you go five hundred, well, there's a bye week in there. So if if you go three and two, let's say, then you know, yeah, yeah, then you're in okay shape when when Breeze comes back. But if if Bridgewater doesn't play well. I mean, Cam Newton is is that's that's a 
tough team to another, look at. Another right? Kapadia you know? curse. Oh, uh, really? Yeah, I so, mean, that, really, that pick should be looking so good right now with Breeze <laughs> getting injured and the Falcons looking terrible. It was all there for him. Well, maybe it's going to be uh, Mr. Uh, Jason Light, the extension man. Mr. Kicker. Maybe, maybe so. Could be. Uh, okay. Anything else that you need to get off your chest uh, from the Eagles game, Shield, including post-game pod? Oh, post-game pod? Let me get my phone out. Okay. Well, while you do that, why don't we well, train? The other, the, the yeah. other one is Zeeperm's boys, who, who I thought oh, flashed right. a little bit, which was Josh Sweat, actually. Interesting. I, you know, you he know did... I'm, not, I'm not a Josh Sweat guy. I know. And so for me to admit he did help. He did help force that uh, one interception where he almost uh, had a, a strip sack. Anything else beyond that one rep? Uh, yeah, I, it's it's in my notes, but I think I wrote his name down like two or three times. So, okay. uh, actually, I, I, asked, I asked Jim Schwartz today of all the defensive ends on on your roster, why did you choose to play Josh Sweat as the guy on the interior? Which I thought was like I thought that was a good question. I thought it was a layup question to compliment Josh Sweat. Right. Something that, that it was he actually didn't play that much there, and and he didn't <laughs> even and, and his best reps came outside. So it was like. Yeah. <laughs> So it's like, I'm not even going to acknowledge that question. <laughs> well, I thought he did have one good rep inside that I, uh, that I think I took uh, actually, a note on. The toughest answer today came uh, on, a, on a, a Merrill Reese question, and I felt so bad for Merrill. He asked Mike Groh, uh, you know, is the, is the Lions defense basically the same uh, as it was with the Patriots? And Mike Groh goes, yes, it is. And that was it. That was the end of the answer. He didn't give him anything. I felt so bad for him. Oh, that's weird. Yeah. It was a real, it was a real middle finger. Uh, uh, um, as I'm looking at my notes here, by the way, Bo, you know the one thing, remember when the Eagles played the Seahawks, Zach? I, ha- I had this note that this one thing that, that Pete Carroll taught the Seahawks defensive backs was when the quarterback leaves the pocket, Mug you cannot him. be called for illegal contact. Right. So if you're facing a receiver or something... You can level that guy. You can't hold. And if you do it while the ball's in the air, it's pass interference. So you right. can get flagged. But if you just level a guy, it can't be flagged. And I thought that the Matt Ryan touchdown to Julio Jones in the red zone, where he scrambled to his right, that was the perfect opportunity for Darby oh. to do that. But I don't know. I don't think everybody teaches their players that. Because I remember asking the Eagles players that uh, during that Seahawks weeks. And uh, they looked at me like I was crazy. Mm. <laughs> That's good. So, anyway, that's going to make my uh, make my column. I thought that was an opportunity. All right, my notes from your post game pod. Uh, I think we need to re- retire the word nuance. Mm. Little hoity toity from you two. Oh, <laughs> you're, com- <laughs> you're coming in about, as uh, Mr. Blue new- Collar. Yeah, nuance this, nuance that. Listen, just uh, call it how you see it. You Multiple don't need to remind us how true. smart you are. Okay. Uh, you mentioned Chip is zero and three, but more importantly. Chip is 0-3 against the spread, my friends. Mm. Yeah, Zach yeah. owes me three hoagies. The, 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 uh, the opponent has covered in all three of those games. Uh, I want to say screw you to the Washington Post. A young, hungry zebra is trying to go home to freaking <laughs> be with his family Thanksgiving, and they're giving him an assignment? To cover an Eagles Cardinals game? What's that about? Oh, I think I think we both I'm know that them offered. giving Zach an assignment was the like the greatest gift of his week. <laughs> I okay. probably offered. I actually have a uh, a funny one with that, um, uh, comparable to that. So I was covering a Virginia Florida State game in Tallahassee on a Saturday. 
uh, fly back Sunday. And my editor at the time, she was, or the baseball editor at, at the post at, at the time, she's like, I know you're from Philadelphia. If you want to go up for the World Series to cover this game, you know, you can write a sidebar. Uh, and I'm like, definitely. So then take a, but I, I had to be back for Al, Al Groh's press conference. <laughs> on, uh, so I had a schedule. I had, I had no a 4 a.m. train back to Philadelphia oh schedule. It, it, it left 30th Street Station at 4 a.m. And I'm so excited because I'm going to be able to cover this game clinching, you know, this World Series clinching game. And it gets, uh, so I'm covering oh. it. It rains. And I can't stay for the final, like the final oh, few innings oh, the next day. It was the rain shortened game. So I was there for the first part of it. And then I'm taking a train back um, to, to Charlottesville. And I cover this Al Groh press conference. Which I'm sure and, was very enlightening. <laughs> and I write my story. And I end up watching the Phillies win the World Series um, in my uh, – in my apartment down in Charlottesville. But, uh, yeah, they would always give me those, uh, those kind of chances to cover pro sports. So, uh, this was definitely not a screw you to the post. It was like a thank you to the post. There was okay, a good, that, go ahead. No, go ahead. There was a good, uh, sort of peek into Zach's mind, uh, after, after our post game pod where he was like, you know, it's like four thirty in the morning. Uh, and he's like, you know, I'm starting to, I'm starting to rethink whether, you know, whether we both need to be back for the, uh, you know, new pressers. <laughs> For, for Doug and I'm like yeah I agree like at least one of us could could probably miss it you know we could, one of us could get asleep and then we're in the car and I'm like wait you're you're you have a Southwest flight you can move your flight back and miss it and he's like uh, no actually I'm pretty excited to see what Doug has to say <laughs> <laughs> there you go uh, well if I can't give a screw you to the post and I'll give one to uh, Bo for the don't no sell on that story I thought that was a nice story out of Z Berman and I mean just like no response out of you, the one about the getting pulled over. Okay, uh, I'll take the fu. I probably I could have sold it better. Fair enough. Yeah, what was that about? I'm I'm sure it was had a lot to do with it being four thirty in the morning and me and <laughs> me, so. me me needing to like make my flight still. The uh, the Jason Kelsey story. I don't. How, how do should we? I feel about this. I mean, was his explanation legit, or do you think there was some stuff no, going on? He posted. A long thing on on Instagram, I, I believe, oh, uh, kind of giving further exp- explanation of this. Okay. Well, I mean, I it's, think I I think uh, you can take it on enough face value, considering he did like then take the concussion test and pass. Okay, that's true. You know what? Because when you guys were saying the explanation, I could kind of relate because I've actually this is probably before the days of um, you know Waze and Google Maps where if I'm going somewhere, but like I'm deep in thought about something where I will, you know, miss a turn or drive past an exit or something and then, uh, you know, have to come back to it. So I felt like that was my equivalent to what, how Jason Kelsey explained it. Yes. Yeah, so to your point there, and I would advise our, our, our listeners to go and read what Jason wrote. It, it was like two really long paragraphs about, about what happened. But one huh. line in there is, me being an analytical person, I immediately start to wonder if I could have done something differently on the play. So, like, you see Jason's mm. mind wandering, and he's not even thinking about what sideline he's going to. Right. Oh, interesting. Uh, you guys mentioned the concession prices. I had no idea what you were talking about. Oh, uh, they're so very cheap. They're very cheap at Mercedes-Benz Stadium. It's like uh, – Wow. Uh, yeah. Really? Like five, you can get a $5 beer. 
Yeah, free. Yeah, free refills on on sodas. Uh, when the stadium first came out, this was a huge story, and it was and they kind of continued it. Yeah, I missed it. Oh, okay. Right, well, that, Sorry well, that, about that. That's I, good. I should have offered more clarification. Yeah, maybe, maybe other people. Uh, maybe this is an obvious story that I missed. Five dollar beers, man. That yeah, that would be dangerous in Philadelphia. No, that's they right. should. They should not do that. Uh, but why? Why were you so obsessed with showering before the flight? You couldn't just go in your work clothes. Well, because I still had. I. I, I mean, first of all, I feel super grimy. Uh, the flight is so. I, I like to shower after the flight. The flight is so dirty. Well, I like to do both. A cramp, but, but it was also sweat. like it was a nice breakup. In like, I still had work to do. Like, I still had writing to do. It was a nice you feel. You feel clean. You feel a little bit better because I knew I was gonna have to stay up. So otherwise, I would have felt like it was the continuation of the same long day. Whereas it was, it's a nice little breakup. Okay. Uh, did you do you know why Edo Smith is named Edo? It, no, it is related to Lance Edo, is it not? Unbelievable! <laughs> They're telling so the good. story on the broadcast. I, I think it's as simple as when he was born, somebody thought he looked like Judge Lancito. <laughs> really? <laughs> I swear to God. They, yeah, I'm not dreaming. They mentioned this on the broadcast. It was unbelievable. Well, that's that's interesting because uh, On Johnson is named after Cato Kalin. Okay. Uh, all right. La- last few here. Uh, I, I, that was a good note, I, so. I feel like you guys are uh, probably looking to uh, catch up on some on some Z's before the practice week starts uh, again. Z Berm's got all the Z's he needs. Uh, I thought Bo did a terrible. Just take a compliment. I mean, Zach's trying to compliment you on your note taking, how attentive no. you are during the game, and you're just like fighting back against it. Oh, I'm sorry. What's that about? Well, someone yeah. remarked, to take yeah, a someone who, who listened was like, "Does does Bo not like you?" <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I mean, good guy, you could have just said thanks. Okay, thank you, Zach. You're welcome, Bo. Uh, Let's see here. This is like our our weekly uh, couples (laughs) therapy session. Uh, Zebra, I think you were sleep deprived, but when you said they scored 20 points, they should win? Come on. Yeah. This isn't uh, isn't 1988, my friend. You got to do a lot better than that to win now. Yeah, you're you're right about that. The reason I said that uh, is because in our over under pod back um, during the preseason, I had mentioned 20 points per game as kind of the threshold for the Eagles uh, for their defensive average. That were they going okay. to be under 20 points per game this year? So that's kind of that's what they've that's been a top 10 defense in the past, a top 10 scoring defense. So yes. I, I think you need to score more than 20 points to win, but I do think defense goes into it thinking if if they can keep the team under 20, they'll win the game. Okay. I remember back during the Jim Johnson days, it was 17 with Andy Reid. Keep them at 17 or under, and we win the game. Uh, so now there has been some uh, inflation. And then the last thing is a bird to flip. Uh, you know, this, like, uh, old takes exposed stuff, when used correctly, I love it. But it's gotten completely out of control. I mean, why were you tw- tagged? Well, not by them, but some uh, some jerk. Who I don't, you know, if you're listening, mm. uh, I'm calling you out. I, I don't even know what the guy's name was, but you know, I tweeted during the game, Jim about Jim Schwartz is dialing up these blitzes, and you know, he's trying to win the game for them, and it's keeping them in the game, which was true. And then they like score on the on the Julio Jones screen, 
and he and he responds and tags old takes exposed on it. No, Give me a break. Silly. That's not how you use it. Get a clue. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Any more petty grievances we can help you get off your chest? Uh, no, I think, uh, well, I'm sure there are, but none that, th- those are all my notes. Okay. Uh, okay. I, I think, uh, we, we've actually touched on most of the questions that were asked in the getting a bird in edgewise uh, segment. So I do want to just close with the one other discussion that we wanted to have. Uh, and, and this is not the Eli Manning hall of fame conversation. I think we're going to table that for Friday because I know that everybody wants to know what Zach thinks about this, <laughs> but, uh, I want to know about, uh, Jalen Ramsey, who it sounds like maybe on the move, and uh, Zach and I had been talking about Minka Fitzpatrick last week off uh, pod, which we should have done on pod, and Zach was uh, very pro trying to acquire Minka Fitzpatrick, depending on the cost, obviously. Uh, But what would you think, uh, do you think the Eagles should be making a real pitch for Jalen Ramsey? Zach, why don't we start with you? In a vacuum, yes. I mean, he's an elite player at a position that, that the Eagles... Uh, certainly could use help, not just this season, but beyond this season. I think the contract situation complicates it a little bit more because you need to pay. So if it's simply a first-round pick and you're confident you can resign him, then that's something I would sign up for. I would have shown more interest in Fitzpatrick because Fitzpatrick had a very favorable contract, a very team-friendly contract in terms of years and in terms of money owed. And I liked his versatility as someone who could potentially be uh, Rodney McLeod's replacement uh, as, as, as your deep safety going forward. Now, Ramsey's clearly the better player, the more proven player. So, yes, I would have interest in him if it's simply a first-round pick, but I would need to be confident that I'm going to sign him. Sheil? Uh, well said. I, I'm on the, really on the fence with this one. I feel like I could be probably persuaded either way. My initial reaction was that, you know, this is someone who's obviously him. He and Doug Marone, you know, needed to be separated on the sideline. Like that reaction from the two teammates, when you look at that, I don't know what was said, but it was something serious because they, they reacted like right away, like get Marone out of here before this really uh, escalates. Now you could say, all right, that type of things ha- thing happens. Maybe it's more on Marone, but it is certainly. I think more on Marone is is an exactly the correct phrase to say. Okay, well maybe. I mean, more I on Marone. More. Oh, okay. More on Marone. Got it. Uh, but certainly, when you're bringing in a new player, uh, you know, hashtag culture, all that. But certainly, you you want to know how he's going to fit, and I would think that you have to. You're going to have to make him, what, the highest-paid corner in the NFL, right? I would imagine so. I would imagine, yeah. So so that is a lot of money when, you know, your scheme, and this is probably more because of, you know, you always want better players, but obviously their MO has been to invest uh, in the defensive line and really try to get home with four, and if you have to play some zone or uh, do some different things or rely on younger players at cornerback, you can do that. And uh, it's worked pretty well. To a degree, although I, you know, you certainly could improve defensively. So, I'm, a, you know, I, I reached out to uh, our boy Daniel Popper, who now covers the Chargers, who mm. covered the ja- Jaguars last Danny year. Pops. Uh, you know, uh, a great guy, great, great reporter. Check out his work, and he said, you know, I wanted to get more about the sort of chemistry angle of it, and he said that Ramsey's teammates loved him. 
And so this wasn't somebody who you like you bring in and all of a sudden he's a jerk to his peers. He said the challenge comes with like the, you know, the GM and the coach and uh, that that type of thing. So if you have trust in Peterson and if you're thinking, hey, this trade would come along with a contract that he likes. And I think you could certainly uh, talk yourself into it. So I don't know. I, I wish I could come out with a real strong one way or the other type thing, but uh, I am a little bit on the fence with this one. So if we're going like incrementally up, uh, I will tell you that I, I would be all about it. Um, and I'm generally like very against trading first round picks, especially for this team that has uh, not had many picks, which we have belabored over the past couple of years. Um, and they need to sort of be in the business of, of adding those blue chip players at a low cost rate. However, I mean, I think, I think he is like the perfect acquisition. And if, if he does sort of, you think you could absorb him character-wise, and the Eagles have some guys who have played with him in the past, Ronald Darby in college and uh, Derek Barnett in high school, uh, I would be so all about it. I think short-term, it solves or at least helps solve the problem of no pass rush a little bit, uh, and that's probably not going to get fixed midseason aside from these guys just playing better. There's no, there's no uh, great guy to acquire on the defensive line who's going to help that, so you might as well acquire the best corner in the league. Uh, he's 24 years old. I know you're going to have to pay him, but you're paying him because he's already good. Like Unlike Minka Fitzpatrick, there's no, there's no guesswork here. We already know that he is awesome. Yeah, well, I think there was, uh, you know, and I, and I asked uh, Daniel Popper about this, but Last year, it sounds like the first half of the season, he was not great, and he was a little bit inconsistent, and then he was fantastic the second half of the season. He was obviously great the year before. So, no, I think it's I think the point still stands. He has that all-pro ceiling, and he's played up to it. Uh, but I would just add, like, a little qualifier that there have been at sure. least some inconsistencies there. Inconsistencies That's there. That's fair. Um, and I think, you know, without, without having covered him at all or knowing really much about him like it, if you want to take him on face value and saying yeah he just want like I, I do feel like going to a winning organization would probably help a little bit um and like listen we've been like the eagles have to make all these decisions at corner they don't know what they have with these guys most of them have been just sort of mediocre i think it would be uh, really nice to be able to add someone who they know that they can lock in so so as i was saying short term it helps the defense and long term I mean, they don't have any real long-term pieces on defense aside from maybe Derek Barnett. And I don't know. It seems to me like I, you know, I'm not, we'll see what the cost ends up being. Like I'm probably not willing to give up two first-round picks. But if you're talking like a first-round pick and Sidney Jones and, and another mid-round pick, I think, that I, would, I think that I would do it. Okay. There you yeah, go. I mean, I, I, I would say to, to your point there, there's a dearth of blue chip 25 and under, 26 and under players on this roster. Anytime, I mean, purely in a vacuum, anytime you can get a blue chip player at, the, at that age, an established one, you need to explore every, every way of doing it. So, yeah, I, I mean, the only holdup I would have is the, is the potential contract. But this is the type of guy you would want to pay. Exactly, because, and I don't, I don't, I don't worry about the contract too much because I mean, would you be interested in signing him if he were a free agent? Probably, absolutely. right? And and he's, you know, he's not going to hit free agency. Whichever team trades for him is going to sign him. So your opportunity to get him is now. And we've talked about like I don't, 
you know, I don't really worry about the cap with this front office. I think they've earned that right. So I'm sure that they could, they, they would be able to move pieces around and, and figure those things out. I do. I just think like to add a player who you know is great. If you think that you, if you can bring him into the building, then I would be uh, like, I, I would be very anxious to make it happen. We'll see. If maybe by the time this post, this this podcast posts, he might be already traded. Who knows? Yeah, maybe the Steelers will give up another first round pick. Maybe. All right. Any okay. uh, any parting thoughts? That's all for me. All I'm right. Good. Well, as uh, as I said in the beginning, stay tuned after uh, the outro for uh, a preview of the lead, the new podcast from the Athletic. And we will talk to you on Friday to preview Sunday's game against Matt Patricia and the anthropomorphic pencils. For Zach and Sheil, I'm Bo. And as always, we love Last week, some major news rocked the NFL. New allegations overnight against NFL star Antonio Brown. Antonio Brown has been accused of rape in a new lawsuit. In the suit filed in the Southern District of Florida, the 28-year-old claims Brown sexually assaulted her on three occasions in 2017 and 2018. The accusations against Brown came just days after he joined the New England Patriots. But despite those accusations, Brown played for the Patriots on Sunday. Antonio Brown, the newest Patriot plunging into the stands in his hometown. And then, just yesterday, new accusations emerged. And another allegation of sexual misconduct from an artist he hired to paint a portrait of him. Now, the NFL and the Patriots need to figure out exactly what to do with Antonio Brown. Today, we're going to speak with The Athletic's Lindsay Jones about how the NFL has dealt with cases like this in the past and what that history tells us about the present. I'm Kavitha Davidson. It's Tuesday, September 17th, and this is The Lead. It felt like something great was happening. There was just something about the emotion and that moment. Yeah, the failures of the past don't matter because we've got this guy now. This isn't a story where you interview the athlete and go home. It stays with you. So, Lindsay, everyone is talking about Antonio Brown right now. For those who aren't so firmly embedded in the NFL, can you just explain how big of a story this is? We've had a lot of kind of massive stories when it involves stars and their off-field behavior, but this one is right up there because Antonio Brown is one of probably the top five players in the NFL. I mean, you could argue based on position and positional value and all of these sorts of things, but this is a major story that's going to really test a lot of the things that the NFL says that it stands for right now in terms of um, player behavior and personal conduct policy when it comes to one of its very biggest stars. Right. Like this isn't just any player. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, this is one, a very high profile player. I mean, he's uh, very out there on his social media. He's one of the highest paid wide receivers. Um, and he's been an all pro for year after year after year. So he's a very good player with a very high profile. 
And the Antonio Brown story was already bizarre, which we'll get into a little later, but now it's taken a complete left turn with him being accused of sexual assault. How how has the league dealt with serious accusations like this in the past? You know, NFL players were not really penalized very harshly for their behavior off the field in previous eras. Um, It was kind of a system of, we're going to let law enforcement deal with this. So if guys weren't convicted, if they weren't even arrested, then the NFL wasn't going to punish them. All of that changed, though, five years ago with the Ray Rice incident. Ray Rice was seen on video dragging his unconscious fiancé, now wife, out of an elevator. Ray Rice um, was a starting running back for the Baltimore Ravens. He won a Super Bowl with the Ravens. And in 2014, he was arrested and indicted on a domestic violence charge, ended up getting a two-game suspension from the NFL. And then later, there was further video that was released. A vicious punch, a woman unconscious, a football player under fire, and all the signs of an NFL cover-up. TMZ um, uncovered video from inside the elevator that showed Ray Rice knocking out his fiance. And when that video came out, there was just massive backlash. I think the way the NFL handled this was awful. It it was outrageous. Literally tens of thousands, maybe hundreds of thousands of fans outraged. The commissioner, Roger Goodell, and his staff realized that they had to do something. And so what they did was completely overhaul their personal conduct policy, especially in regards to domestic violence, sexual assault, and child abuse. But ultimately, it kind of reinforced that Roger Goodell has ultimate authority to discipline players, really however he chooses, regardless of what a court might say or what the criminal justice system might have determined in a similar case. And the commissioner uses that authority through something called the commissioner's exempt list. We hear this term thrown around often in cases like this. What exactly is the commissioner's exempt list? Basically, the NFL's version of administrative leave, where it's taking that player off the field. He will still be paid, but he will no, he will not be able to play while the rest of the investigation proceeds. And they're saying, we're going to make this disciplinary decision at this point to place him on this paid leave. We're not letting the team handle it. You will not be making this decision whether or not this guy who's accused of a crime is going to play. We, the league, are going to make that decision. To hear the rest of the episode, listen and subscribe to The Lead on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening right now.